Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, December 5th, 2022. On the show today, news, listener questions, and surveys. Then in our main segment, it's the 121st anniversary of Walt Disney's birth, and Jim tells us about all the ways Disney has celebrated that over the years. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says that two wrongs don't make a right, but two rights make a heck of an airplane. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len, but I'm fascinated by the fact that we're coming up on the 119th anniversary of the, the Wright Brothers' first flight. Mm-hmm. But Len, it, it was 12 seconds long, and they went 120 feet. Yeah, it, it's a, it, there are airplanes now with wingspans larger than the, the first flight. Well, here we go. And I just want to know at what point did the little bag of six peanuts get introduced to the whole? <laughs> exactly. Was that all they could carry on the flight? Because, you know, otherwise the thing wouldn't get off of the ground. Again, at some point this enters the scenario. And I just, I want to know about that moment. Yeah, I mean, you can't even get through the entire safety briefing in, the, in 12 seconds. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Connor Clark. My good friends Bill and Larissa Hirsch, Nick Ruber, and Joe Hickson, and longtime subscribers D Barnes337, Julie Patton, and Eric Ryan. Jim, these are the cast members who designed and named the champagne bar called Ula La on the Disney Fantasy. They say the original ideas for the bar included British and Australian decor, but the potential names of Ooh Crikey and Blimey La La didn't test as well with guests. True story. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, crikey sounds, sounds like, sounds like the t-shirt. Oh, crikey. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, a uh, quick thing. Disney's Hey Disney Alexa-like service started testing at Disney's Polynesian Resort this week. If you're staying there, I'd love to see the legal waiver around this always-on listening device. And Disney says the service will be available as a for-purchase Alexa skill eventually. And Disney says that you can say things like, Hey, Disney, and ask for more blankets and towels, the fastest way to get to the parks in the morning, and where to get your favorite food. Jim, we've talked about this pre-pandemic, right? It was one of the things that Disney was working on. We did. We did. And, and I just wonder about your avocado test (laughs) want to see how many avocados you can get room service to bring up to your room yeah if you walk if you like walk by someone's room and say disney order a thousand tonga toast commit you know like will that (laughs) (laughs) oh god (laughs) it's just just another thing yeah because that's true they wouldn't it wouldn't recognize your specific voice would it it's got to be it's got to be used to tourists so any voice Ooh, Probably. Oh, Jim, mischief, Jim, mischief. There we go. There we go. Get yourself a loudspeaker <laughs> and wander down a corridor. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk through the uh, Polynesian singing my, uh, my favorite song. I'd like to order a large pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I haven't eaten today, Jim? Because we started with food. There we go. All right. In other news, the Disney Cruise Line has announced a new tier to its Castaway Club Frequent Cruise Loyalty Program, and that tier is called Pearl, as in mini. The, uh, so the tiers now are silver, which is what you get if you've been on one to four cruises, then gold for five to nine cruises, platinum for 10 to 24 cruises, 
and Pearl, now for 25+. plus. Disney says that Pearl tier members will get new at-home and on-ship benefits, so no word on whether any current Platinum-level benefits will change. And Jim, I gotta say, as a Platinum uh, cruise member who will never make it to Pearl because of the cost, I'm, yeah. I feel like a second-class citizen all of a sudden. This is the Disney world we live in now. Segmentation, tiering, yeah. There we go. Yeah. Ah, disappointed. Hmm. Also, Jim, uh, I guess in the wake of Bob Chapek being replaced, there was a remarkably quiet news week for Disney. So we're going to go on to surveys. <laughs> I was just chatting with friends about this, how the Monday or Tuesday after the news came out about Bob Iger replacing Bob Chapek, there was all sorts of news. All sorts of folks were talking. And then just over the past week, everybody has sort of clammed up. Yeah. Let's see what happens next, yeah. We are happy that Bob Iger is back. And that's all we have to say. <laughs> By the way, right before we uh, started recording, did you see Michael Eisner's tweet? Like, yeah, it's been a crazy couple of years. <laughs> we we got to stop all this. jeez. <laughs> oh, yeah, Eisner coming out, coming out with that. All right, cool. All right, Jim, let's do surveys. Our friend mm-hmm. Dave sent in this Disney survey question. And before I read it, Jim, as a warning to our listeners, let me just say that anyone who works with numbers please fast forward ahead 90 seconds because the survey question reads this. How many times did you take advantage of the following benefits during this trip? And it's early theme park entry. And it asks you how many times you took advantage of that extended evening theme park hours first to purchase and schedule lightning lane attractions and the extended window for making dining reservations. And Jim, I note Dave's error message highlighted in red that says, please enter a number between one and 99 for each benefit, meaning you could not tell Disney that you didn't take advantage of any of this. You couldn't enter zero as a number. And let me just say again, I will pay money to any Mm -hmm. Disney cast member who shows me what the, this presentation to Disney executives looked like. (laughs) (laughs) Things are great. Things are great. Look at these numbers. We're killing it. (laughs) We've somehow achieved a 200% utilization for early theme park entry. (laughs) Every every single human being who could possibly take advantage of this did at least once. Mm -hmm. All right. Our friend Nathan sent in a Disney survey with some questions I've not seen before. Uh, And this was about a stay at the Riviera. And one of the questions is this. How did you first learn about minivan service? So, Jim, good to see that not only are the uh, minivans back, but the minivan mm-hmm. survey questions are back. So it's uh, online, like at DisneyWorld.com, uh, in print or other media, or other. And the first mm-hmm. thing under other is word of mouth, which is kind of interesting. How long have the minivans been back at this point? A couple it, months. A few months. Yeah. That's kind of early for word of mouth, but I'll, I'll take it. Okay. Yeah, what if it's there? And the, uh, the next question that was interesting was, which of the following reasons describe why you did not use minivan service. And the options are, I didn't understand it. It wasn't needed or necessary. It was too expensive. I didn't want to pay extra for transportation. I used my own car. It wasn't offered to off-property destinations. I was satisfied using complimentary transportation. And Jim, that's got to be a red flag right there. <laughs> like, oh you're, oh, you're satisfied with free transportation, are you? Aha. Uh-huh. It wasn't available or the wait was too long. I didn't have the Lyft app. The app wasn't working or technical issues. Hmm. Party size, I used another ride share or other. The other question that was interesting was, you may have already mentioned this, but did you have a problem unlocking your room door when you first checked into Disney's Riviera Resort? 
And I think, Jim, this is tied back to two things. One, mm-hmm. the use of the My Disney Experience app to unlock your door. And two, the fact that you don't have to go to the front desk to get room keys anymore. So the really they're looking at here is, did anything in any possible process break down? The fact that it's this specific resort. Well, again, yeah. obviously they, they, they were staying at the Riviera Resort. This yeah. is why they're being asked about it. Yeah. But wow, okay. Did you have a problem unlocking your door? Not, And there wasn't, I looked through the survey, there wasn't a question about like, was everything in your room working? You know, did the faucets mm-hmm. work? Did the television work? Did anyone greet you? The specific question was unlocking your door. Okay. Makes you wonder if Yeah, any, makes, you wonder, you know, makes you wonder why this question is on this survey, right? Yeah. yeah. So a couple, three, three more interesting questions. How would you rate the information you received prior to arriving at the Riviera to prepare you to get the most out of your stay? Haven't seen that one before. Okay. Okay. And, and actually, here's a question that I'm going to start asking you in the unofficial guide, and I'm not kidding. Is mm. there anything you wish you had known prior to arriving that you believe would have enhanced your overall experience? Never seen that question before. Wow. Yeah. That's an interesting focal point. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, so um, so Nitan answered no on this, but if anyone gets this survey mm-hmm. and gets this question, answer yes. And let me know what the follow-up question is. Like, is it multiple mm. choice? You know, you know did, did you wish you had more information about, you know, parking or checking in or whatever? Or is it freeform where you just have to yeah, mm. enter text? All right, last interesting question. And we've seen this one before, but it's back. And the question is this. During your stay at the Riviera, did you order any food delivered from a restaurant or service that was not part of the resort? So again, looking, looking at revenue, Jim. Stream, stream, mm-hmm. streams of revenue. There we go. Fantastic. Good survey. Very thorough, too. And thanks for, uh, thanks for sending that in, Nitan. That was really good. Interesting insight to what they're looking at right now. Yeah. On to uh, listener questions. Here's one from Tim who says, My upcoming trip will be my three-year-old daughter's first visit to Walt Disney World. Yay! She's too small to ride a lot of attractions, but she loves transportation. We can see the 7 train from our apartment, and it is a source of joy. That is literally, Jim, the first time the words 7 train and a source of joy have ever been used together in the English language. <laughs> Congratulations, Tim. We'll send you your award. Okay. Anyway, Tim continues, uh, is there any word at all on when the Walt Disney World Railroad will actually reopen? I see news on mm-hmm. testing, but as we approach the fourth anniversary of its last ride, it's feeling odd that it's still not running. Also, is the contemporary bus service between it and the Fort Wilderness coming back? Is that a staffing issue like everything else? All right, so I was going to put this in the news section, Jim, but mm-hmm. the Walt Disney World Railroad was spotted doing on-track testing it was it yesterday was. in Walt Disney mm-hmm. World by your own Christina Harrison. So I would mm-hmm. expect that to be sooner rather than later. I think a lot of it, Jim, is going to come down to how much construction material they need to move back and forth to Tron mm-hmm. and whether that's going to interfere with the, the train running around. Also, aren't they finaling the tunnel under Tron uh, light cycle run. I, I, I want to say there yeah. uh, been some images of, of folks in there working on windows and that sort of thing. That and then the um, the backside of the combined exit now to Space Mountain and Tron that going through the old gift shop. That's all being worked on right in that general location. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be imminent like in the next week. But if we said it's going to happen before Tron previews, which are now scheduled for March unofficially, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see it. 
when it comes to the Fort Wilderness and Contemporary Boat Service, I don't think that's coming back anytime soon. But Tim, it did remind mm-hmm. me though, um, definitely bring your daughter on the Skyliner, even if it's just to go grab lunch at Primo Piatto at the Riviera, because number one, that's an excellent place for lunch, keeping with our Riviera theme. And number two, your daughter will love the Skyliner if she likes the. Well, the that's trip. the thing. I, if, if she's, you know, if the, the seven train brings her joy. <laughs> exactly. Its exactly. entire vacation may be spent on the Skyliner, <laughs> but, you know. That... Yeah, so hold on. So we, we don't have submarines anymore, but we do have boats, trains, mm-hmm. monorails. Mm-hmm. Ah, man, if we only had Delta Dream Flight. Ugh, those were the days. Okay. All right, here's a, uh, a listener question from Ben. He says, on the last episode of the podcast, you discussed the latest universal survey, and I wanted to share my experience. On my survey, I was asked questions about building lands for Superman mm-hmm. and Lord of the Rings. My main job is a theatrical lighting and set designer for theaters around the country. So I had a lot of ideas about what could be designed. I was in the middle of describing a very detailed e-ticket ride for Lord of the Rings when I realized this simple point. I don't work for Universal. (laughs) Well, what I find fascinating about Ben's comment to the Vective on his survey, who was asked about Superman. Yeah. If you go all the way back to the Toon-Aversal project, which was what the theme park that predated Islands of Adventure, mm-hmm. when you entered through Toon-Aversal Plaza and arrived at the lagoon, to your left was the shining city of Metropolis, but to your right, where Seuss's Landing is today, was the dark, grim Gotham City. And you guys somehow acquired the rights to Superman again? Because, again, the the whole point was that back then, Universal balked, evidently, at making a one-time-only $25 million payment to get the theme park rights to all of of Warner Brothers' IP. Oh, that includes DC uh, and Superman? And the Looney Tunes characters, Len. Oh, And, and they still, it's like, oh, I don't want to pay $25 million, you know, for theme park rights. And it's like, oh, God. Oof. Well, I mean, they did get one thing very, very right. This is true. And this that was is true. By the way, when I was at, uh, when I, when I was at IAPA uh, a couple of weeks ago presenting, there was an entire discussion around the novel uh, IP inventions that came mm-hmm. about because of Disney and Universal's discussions over the Marvel character rights. Like, apparently it's... The, the the premise was that um, the law says one thing, but it creates incentives for companies to come up with new proposals, like new mm-hmm. new forms of agreement on things, so that the IP protection isn't necessarily you. The primary benefit isn't to protect the intellectual property so much it is to enable creativity in the legal realm, which I thought was you know was kind of great. <laughs> it's a good way of looking at it. I don't know how I feel about, hey, rather than getting creative theme park rides, we're getting that much smarter lawyers? <laughs> the interesting thing was um, uh, the presenter uh, showed this slide, and it was mm. Spider-Man-themed Mickey Mouse ears in the Emporium in the Magic Kingdom. And he's like, does this violate the Marvel agreement that Universal has? Oh. I mean, maybe. Is Disney you know, is Disney just trying to push the boundaries to see, you know, where where Universal's going to draw the line? Maybe? You know, but like, this is the sort of thing, like, you know, run it up the flagpole, let's see who salutes. <laughs> In that situation, there's this famous story that right after 
Disney had acquired the rights to, uh, you know, uh, or had bought Marvel outright mm -hmm. in August of 2009. They requested a meeting with Sony, and Sony thought for sure that Disney was coming to take back the film rights to Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. And so when they got in the meeting, and what they found was that Disney just wanted the licensing rights to Spider-Man back. They were so relieved. You know, thought, oh, absolutely, take those. We'll keep the movie rights. Yeah. Not realizing that that was actually the sweetest plum. The valuable part of it all. Ugh. Yeah. Actually, I think the most valuable part of the Spider-Man franchise is Tom Holland's singing of Umbrella by Rihanna. Uh, Rihanna. <laughs> but... We uh, we all we all have our, our favorites. So. There we go. All there right. We go. Here's a, uh, an email from Brian, and he's talking about um, PhotoPass and how mm -hmm. it's affected by Disney no longer giving free Magic Bands to guests. Mm -hmm. And here's what he says: To get the military discount on PhotoPass, I have to buy mm -hmm. in person at a park or Disney Springs. We have to show ID. I get it, the whole mm -hmm. thing. But here's the crazy part: When I bought it, the cast member gave me this cutout piece of paper and told me to take a selfie on any ride with a red asterisk next to it. That way, mm -hmm. when the cast members inevitably have to go through and look photo by photo for me, they have a starting point. And so the rides with uh, asterisks are Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, Pirates of the Caribbean, Haunted Mansion, Frozen Ever After, Guardians of the Galaxy, Slinky Dog Dash. And, and so Brian says, Disney's decision to stop free magic bands is now not only hurting guest experience, but it's hurting cast members to the point that they're handing out a printed list and telling guests about the workaround. Ooh. And think about it, because they're not giving away magic bands now, the magic band sensors on these rides, which are supposed to you know, capture you for your photo and for posterity, there's nothing for them to track. So now you've got to you've got to take a selfie and show it to cast member. And be like, yeah, this is what I looked like on Seven Dwarfs. Can you find oh, this? <laughs> and I haven't realized this because I still wear a magic band in the park, so. Mm -hmm. But I can totally see how this is an issue. No, absolutely. Oh, my God. I know. It's one of these things where the consequences of the decision aren't fully felt for years afterwards. Jeez. Mm, All right. And uh, last email from Ray, who said, uh, when you and Jim were talking last week about Disney's new cruise ship, you mentioned that you like big boats. How did you not paraphrase Sir Mix-a-Lot's Baby Got Back with the phrase, I like big boats and I cannot lie? Aaron could have dropped in some audio, too. Ray, from your lips to God's ears. Totally should have done it. <laughs> That's on uh, me. That's on me. Right there. Uh, <laughs> All right, next time. Missed opportunity. Okay. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us all the different ways in which Disney has celebrated the anniversary of Walt's birth. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, one of the hardest things to do in life is to admit that you need some help. I mean, some people view this as a sign of weakness. I mean, me, I, I actually prefer to think of it as a show of strength. I mean, when you can be that honest with yourself and admit, I am feeling overwhelmed or I am feeling stuck, well, good for you. Because it's not like life comes with a user manual, especially this time of year when we're being bombarded with messages about how the holidays are supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year and you're just not feeling it. That, that's okay, though. You are entitled to feel just how you feel. But perhaps you'd like a little help when it comes to finding a way to successfully navigate the holidays, which can be a pretty emotionally fraught time of year for some folks. And a therapist can help you figure out the cause of those challenging emotions and maybe teach you some productive coping skills. 
Anyway, if that sounds like something you think you might like to try, well, let me tell you about BetterHelp. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists who are available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. If you're looking to get started, all you need to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to then get matched with a therapist. And if things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. The process couldn't be simpler. Plus, there are no waiting rooms, no traffic, no searching for just the right therapist. Anyway, if this sounds like something you'd like to try, you can learn more and save 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash Disney Dish. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Disney Dish. We thank them for sponsoring today's episode. I think we're about to talk about my all-time favorite Disney Walt anniversary, and that is the 100 Years of Magic celebration. Yeah, but I've been getting some emails and some comments from folks who are frankly confused by what's going on at the company. Like, for example, for the five of you who went out to a theater this weekend and saw Strange World, you saw the box office numbers for that, right? Um, It was uh, basically the cost of a large pepperoni pizza at Pizza Hut. That's how much money Disney recouped on this. Well, anyway, out ahead of this Don Hall film, there was the brand new Disney 100 logo which they previewed back in September at the D23 Expo. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, around the same time, we learned that the Disney 100, the exhibition, a brand new traveling exhibit that the Disney Archives is putting together, uh, this 1,500-square-foot immersive environment, will debut with the Franklin Institute on February 18, 2023. Tickets are already on sale, by the way, before going on a world tour. But people are like, wait a minute. Disney 100, didn't we do this already? Wasn't there the 100 Years of Magic? And the 100 Years of Magic, which happened back in in, uh, 2001, that was celebrating the 100th anniversary of the birthday of the company's founder, Walt Disney. Whereas Disney 100, they're actually celebrating the founding of the company, October 16th, 2023. And when the company was founded, it was the Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio. And it stayed that way as long as the operation was on Kingswell Avenue in L.A. When Walt and Roy moved over to Hyperion Avenue, at that point, the studio then sort of rebranded as the Walt Disney Studios. And I've been told, in fact, by by Diane Disney Miller herself, that Roy was fine with this. It was like, okay, you be the face, I'll be the money guy, don't worry about it. So to sort of circle back to the 100 Years of Magic, why we had the 100 Years of Magic was that Disney Parks and Resorts, they had the very first meeting about uh, this year, well, I I think it actually turned into 17 months, uh, Mm -hmm. long celebration in September of on uh, 1999 so so literally they Holy are one cow. month out from the millennium celebration and it's just basically okay so what are we going to do after the millennium celebration and they begin casting about for a theme an idea they can build it around and it's just sort of like well wait a minute waltz 
was born in 1901. Can maybe we can do that? We can celebrate the hundred anniversary of Walt's birth, and it's like, and out of that acorn grew the promotional oak that was a hundred years of magic. Now yeah. you have spoken with much passion about mm-hmm. how you felt about the icon for the millennium celebration, the Mickey wand over spaceship birth. Oh, a, a pestilence of biblical proportions, a blight on humanity. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of worse words to use, and I can't think okay. of anything. Yeah, okay. Did we have similar thoughts about the sorcerer's hat at uh, Disney MGM? <laughs> I didn't like it, but mm. it wasn't the same level of revulsion that it, I mean. It's Spaceship Earth is perfect as an icon the way it is, and mm. I kind of got with uh, Disney MGM Studios at the time. I kind of got. The sense mm-hmm. that the Chinese theater was not an instantly recognizable architectural icon. And the mm-hmm. hat kind of served that purpose, I guess. You know, it's like one of those things, it's like, well, you know what? Okay, fine, go with that. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't as concerned about that. But I th- we've talked to Jim Shull about this, right? You and me? We did, we did. In fact, Jim Shull confirmed that there was an earlier idea they were going to take the one man's dream exhibit Mm -hmm. and put it in a building actually down toward the front of the park. Really? Yeah, the idea was that it created this actual sort of rectangle building that the exhibits would be located inside of, but then put a sorcerer's hat on the very top of the building and then to sort of cement home that this is a Disney park, to either side of the sorcerer's hat would have been smallish Ferris wheels that would have basically formed the Mickey ears. So you would have had this building that not only held a one-man street exhibit, but you would also have had the ride component with the Ferris wheels, and you would have had your icon for the park. But they were supposed to build it on the expansion pad that had previously been set aside for David Copperfield's Magic Underground Restaurant, which which we have to talk about at some point. That's oh, God, a, yeah. This was, a, this was in front of the park by the lake where the boats are. Mm-hmm. But evidently, when they sussed out what it was going to cost to build there, mm-hmm. along with the two Ferris wheels and that sort of thing, it's like, yeah, yeah. we're not doing that. Yeah, we're not going <laughs> to. We don't have that kind of money. <laughs> you know, and so they end up dropping it in front of the Chinese theater. So it's 122 feet tall. They had to do a football field's worth of concrete to anchor the thing. Oh, yeah, because because uh, wind could get underneath the hat and lift it up. There we go. Hurricanes. There we yeah. go. And, yeah. you know, we don't want it blowing, blowing up and floating out onto I-4. But <laughs> it was always supposed to be a temporary structure. It was only supposed to be there till March of 2003, which was the push out for the closing of 100 Years of Magic. And the Sorcerer's Mickey hat stood there in front of the great movie ride till January of 2015. Only then did it finally come down. Here's my question, right? When When you're designing this, right? You're an Imagineer. You're designing a physical structure. And someone comes to you and says, it's gotta last for three years. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's a huge difference between the requirements for, you know, quote, structure that lasts for three years, which is basically a tent, right? And structure that needs to last 15, right? Like the n- amount of materials, the reinforcement, the building codes for those things seem to be vastly different, right? Because if you're building a house and the house only needs to last for three years, that's completely different 
than a house that has the rest of the, you, you, you know? When you build in Florida, you have to take hurricanes into account. Yeah, or maybe I that's wonder, it. Yeah, maybe if it's just like, you know, a hurricane, whether we build it for three years or, you know, even if we, even if we only build it for three years, <laughs> the hurricane codes are such that it's going to last 15, even if we don't do any extra maintenance on it. But I honestly have to wonder how much of this re-creek had a play in, or a roll-in, you know, to the effect of, okay, you want to build this, this is how you need to build it, and suddenly you have your a very permanent-looking temporary structure. Well, you mentioned that because I'm following sort of like the back-channel communications around what the Florida government and Reedy Creek are trying mm -hmm. to compromise on. And one of the things that is on the table and, you know, Disney's basically saying it is like, you know, we're doing way more than we need to here, is the Reedy Creek Improvement District construction codes, where Disney's like, look, we overbuild these things, and this is why things don't get as damaged during hurricanes, and you guys want to take this over and, and let us off the hook for the construction stuff, and there'll be more damage across the county? Absolutely fine with us. Yeah, but it's definitely come Ooh. up in conversations. Wow. Like, yeah, hey, we'll save some money. It'll be great, you know? Oh, yeah. And then, then you explain, you guys explain to the tourists why stuff isn't open. <laughs> I know, it's a good time. God. Good times. Anyway, yeah. Well, getting back to the, the Sorcerer's Mickey's Cap, I, I mean, how many of you folks remember the little interactive stations that, that were set up under this thing? You could go in and test your Disney trivia knowledge. Or for that matter, do, do you remember the retail thing that was set up here where you could buy those magical moments pins? pins. Do you remember those? I remember the pins. I, I vaguely remember the interactive kiosks but i remember the pins because it was it was retail much longer than it was interactive kiosks right oh yeah for those of you who don't recall the magical moments pen the gimmick of these were they they were like two inches across and, and sometimes as tall as three inches and about a three quarters of an inch thick and they were interactive technology for 2001 so the, the, for example the, the packaging of the pin says Ride the ride, see the show, watch the parade, and let Disney Magical Moment pins make you part of the show. Each sparkling pin will illuminate when you encounter special magical moments at all four theme parks at Walt Disney World Resort. Collect all five pins and join in the magic. Now, there were one pin for each of the parks and then a fifth pin that had the logo for the 100 Years of Magic. Okay. And they were powered by two watch batteries, weren't they? Or Oh, the it's, I actually used them for my scale, the CR2032s. There we go. All right, so go. Jim, two of those is probably like $8 in batteries. In, in 2001, it was probably like $12 mm -hmm. in batteries. You're going to buy five of them? You're going to buy one per kid? If you took it out of the box and the pin you had would last three days. But Disney said, no problem. Just get out a Phillips head screwdriver. Get yourself yeah, get the one that Yeah, the one that I carry with me all the time when I'm walking around Disney World on vacation. For emergencies just like this. I don't see the problem, Jim. <laughs> the more things change, the more th they say the same. Because look at what the Magic Band Plus. Magic it, Band Plus. What they say. Last less than a day on a battery charge, yeah. Now, mind you, out there, they're describing it as wearable technology that unlocks a, a new dimension of Disney storytelling coming alive with color-changing LEDs and haptic vibrations during select park experiences and entertainment. So let me guess, it, it vibrates during the ride, it blinks during the parade. It's like, where have I seen this before, Len? <laughs> yes, and, and uh, under batteried uh, device that shakes, moves, and lights up during your... Uh, theme park experience. Yes, saw this 20 years ago. So to circle back again to the 100 Years of Magic, we got a brand new parade at all four 
Disney theme parks. And good parades. Now, mind you, you know, one of them, at least, was, you know, Tapestry of Dreams was basically a slightly retooled version of, of Tapestry of Nations. But on the other hand, the Magic Kingdom got a Cherry Dream Come True parade, yep. also known as the Snow Globe Cavalcade. <laughs> and studios got stars and motor cars. And that and lasted for a long time. It did. It did. And then we got uh, Mickey's Jamming Jungle Parade at Animal Kingdom, which Joe Rohde had deliberately created a park that, you know, when it opened in, in April of 1998, could not do a classic Disney parade because the roads and walkways were too narrow and bumpy and there weren't actually sidewalks for the guests to stand on. So No, the thing I loved about this was when you were getting ready to find a spot for the parade, Disney cast members would lay down masking tape. and. And it, Jim, if you so much as had a leg spasm that caused your leg to go over that masking tape boundary, you were in the wheel path of a, of a parade ride vehicle. You could touch some of the parade ride vehicles. All the way. Also, uh, Mickey's Jam and Jungle Parade was Laurel's favorite parade, so uh, I have to love it. Yes. What was it? And roar and growl and roll right over your foot. <laughs> yeah, you know the lyrics. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so anyway, the um, 100 Years of Magic, they were planning on having a press event to launch this the last week of September 2001. But of course, <sighs> 9-11 happens earlier that month. And out of respect and also... Because most of the airlines had grounded a lot of their fleets for the foreseeable future, yep. Disney PR team reached out to the 5,000 journalists that had invited to this event and said, hey, hang on, we're, we're going to reschedule. Those folks who could drive down to Disney World actually got to see all four of these parades debut on September 24th of that year. That, that was the, the soft opening with formally the uh, 100 Years of Magic getting underway on October 1st. And the press event gets pushed off to December. In fact, the opening event is held on December 5th, the actual 100th anniversary of Walt Disney's birth. Opening ceremonies held at the Magic Kingdom. In fact, we were just talking about the train, a steam train that go goes around the park, and this is how they kicked off the celebration. They played the, the Casey Jr. coming down the track song, and that's a Main Street Philharmonic that's playing that, and here comes the train into the station with Goofy as the engineer. That was the that was the origination of that song, because as soon as you started saying that, I, I have the song in my head. Yeah, yeah. Wow. But it was dozens upon dozens of Disney uh, characters on the train. And then Al Weiss, the then president of Walt Disney World, steps to the podium and, and says this was a deliberate choice because Walt was such a train buff. And October 1st, Disney World had celebrated its 30th anniversary. And they had persuaded the, I want to say there were only 100 or, or so employees who'd still with the Disney World Resort who'd From started the beginning. Yeah. yeah, from the, the 30th, so that they, they brought them out and acknowledged them. And as typical with these sort of press events, their their parties and presentations, they make sure the reporters get on all the new rides and the shows. And one of these things was held at the base of the Sorcerer Mickey's Hat, where a hundred different sheet cakes were put together to form a 25-foot-long and 17-foot-wide version of the 100 Years of Magic logo. Mind you, the cake didn't get cut till uh, Michael Eisner then dedicated the One Man's Dream exhibit. And <sighs> Len and I recently toured this interactive uh, gallery space. Yep. And 
still up and running still has some amazing pieces of disney history there like for example the the project little man that you know the the very first attempt at the, of the company to do something that eventually grew into audio animatronics and you were commenting on the fact that the giant metal gears that powered this thing sort of look like buzzsaw blades, right? Every exhibit in there that was more than 50 years old was terrifying from a consumer <laughs> product safety perspective. Remember the wiring on the little house that oh. Walt did? And, and it was wiring where metal touched the connectors on a bunch of now 100-year-old plywood? <laughs> like, 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 nobody plug this in. Let us not plug this in. <laughs> you know, some people say charming piece of history. Others say death trap. I'm thinking, I'm thinking that that glass dome has, that that thing is under has all the air pumped out of it just for safety reasons. <laughs> like it's vacuum packed, not, not, not to preserve the wood, but to make sure that nothing catches on fire. At this moment, what just fascinates me is that how much things change and how much they stay the same. I'm thinking about it. We, we talked about the Disney 100 exhibition is getting ready to launch at the Franklin Institute in February. And mm. you were just talking about, for example, the, the little house that Walt built that was part of Disneylandia, which yeah. in 51, he was looking to send out around the country as a traveling exhibit. And and then, like I said, we, we had the 100 Years of Magic celebration getting underway at Walt Disney World back in the, the fall of 2001. And, and now here Here's the Disney company getting ready for its 100 years of, of wonder, which starts in January uh, January 1st, 2023. And like I mentioned, those, those magical moment interactive pins, which, Len, I remember those things weighing as much as the saucer that you put a cup of coffee on, <laughs> almost being as big, too. And now the Disney magic pins, and, and, and neither of them can hold a charge. Anyway, it, for me, Len, it's Disney Deja Vu. Kind of the same feeling, actually, I get with Bob Iger back as the I CEO. knew you were going there. <laughs> so. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember a lot of the stuff for, from the 100 Years of Magic. I um, think the parades, though, brought me back because I, I didn't realize that all of those parades, which I think are some of Disney's best parades ever, were mm. on the 100 oh, yeah. Years of Magic. That's fantastic. That's why... So many people, when they saw what the company did for the 50th anniversary of Walt Disney World, it's like, no, wait a minute. We saw the amazing stuff you put together for, you know, the 25th anniversary. Remember the magic. Yeah. And, and likewise, this 100 years of magic. And for the 50th to be somewhat less magical was a surprise. So The thing is, I mean, to your point, they started planning the 100th anniversary 20 years earlier. Like, you can't tell yeah. me we didn't have plans in place for the 50th. Yeah, Adam. Well, yeah, you again. know what? We, we'll have a 55th. We'll have a 60th. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. But the, the thinking at that point was, how do we follow the Millennium Celebration? And, and yeah. this looks nice. Anyway, I, if, if any of you folks have any stories that you'd like to share about uh, your experiences to the 100 Years of Magic, oh, yeah. uh, Len and I would love to hear them. So, Yeah, send pictures. It'll be great. Okay. Fabulous. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And we're recording some live in-park shows this week, I think. Right, Jim? Yes, that is the plan. <laughs> All right, on next week's show, Jim gives us the history and many, many changes of Disneyland's Pacific Pier Hotel. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. 
were produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who's still looking for a partner for him and his horse Snowball for the team roping competition at the 53rd International Finals Rodeo Competition, January 12th through the 15th, 2023, at the Lazy E Arena in beautiful downtown Guthrie, Oklahoma. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and rate our show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.